Morning. Hey, it's great to see you. I hope that you had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas and New Year. Hopefully it was a blessed time with your family, friends, and a great time of reflection on the gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, you were good to us. You're gracious. We don't deserve it. And help us to remember that. Because that's why we serve you. That's why we live for you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> before, before I jump in, um, I just want to take a second. And um, I know right now it can probably feel kind of frustrating. Things are lagging on. We're looking for a lead pastor. Um, I just, I just want to remind us that some great things are happening here. And we continue to seek to move forward even in this interim time period. Um, if you think about it, the two big times when people tend to come back to church, Christmas, what's the next one? Easter. Be praying. Be praying that God would give you someone to invite. Um, got big plans for another Easter breakfast and trying to connect, give you an opportunity to connect people that you know with other people in the church and they can see, right? They're going to know that we're Christians by our love. And that, in that context, the love is actually between believers. So one of the greatest ways that you can witness is bring your non-Christian friends in contact with you and other believers and they can see the love that believers demonstrate towards one another. So be praying about that. So we have a big thing coming up there. Hey, we have some other things along the way. We have a chili cook-off. Remember that last year? That went really well. And that's a great opportunity, again, to connect you, uh, connect to some people from the community to our church, some people that need to hear the message of Jesus. Uh, we're going to have some other things, too. Our youth children's ministry is going to do a vision casting opportunity, get, let you see all the things that they are looking forward to doing. That's coming up in February as well. So we have lots of things going on. Men's ministries continuing to meet. Have you done that? We haven't done the axe throwing yet, have we? Because I, I don't want to miss that. I'm hoping I don't have to mix that. I want to throw some axes against the wall or something. But we're doing some good things to continue to move our ministry forward here in the interim time period as we continue to pray for a new lead pastor. If you've been a part of a Bible-believing church in the last 20 years, you have probably have some stories about ways in which your fellow members have ministered to you, or you've been able to minister to other fellow church members. A couple of stories from my time here. When I first took the job at Northwood, I moved up. It was my daughter's senior year in high school, so she... Um, stayed back in Tennessee with my rest of my family. And I moved up here in January, started January 1st on the job. And I, this was, happened to be the first church I visited. Uh, immediately got plugged in to a life group. And um, some of those people in that life group are still great friends. Um, literally, I needed a place to stay. I, I was told at first that um, I was going to be able to stay in the Northwoods Hotel for the spring. And then they said, oh, if we do that, we're going to have to tax you for it. 
And I was like, I can't afford to pay a mortgage down in Tennessee. Hadn't sold that yet, right? And so the need came up and I just shared it as a prayer request. And lo and behold, I ended up living in one of our fellow life group members' basements for the spring, right, in transition. And that was one way that God used a life group to minister to me. There are friends in that life group that are precious to me because we've done community and Christian living together. I've had opportunities to minister to them, right? One day, I don't usually like Taco Bell, but I went through Taco Bell. I call it the lunch of champions, right? So good for us. Um, Was going through Taco Bell, which the one over by the hospital. And as it turned out, I got a call while I just pulled out of there and someone from that life group his wife was in the hospital, and he was frantic, and I was able to meet him at the emergency room and hang out with him and pray with him and try to be an encouragement to him, all because we were a part of this thing called the Christian community. And, and frankly, I've had, over the years, I've had godly influences in my life who have challenged me and said, hey, Dave, I see how you're acting in this area of your life, you know, I don't think that's the best thing for you, right? But God's designed the church as this community of believers who are to engage with each other. And if you've been a part of a church and have done the deep dive and gotten into it, you've experienced, maybe even experienced some pain in those contexts. My wife and I have been a part of a group where we were accused of some really nasty things that weren't true, and it was hurtful to us. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to pull away. But we knew that that's not what God calls us to do. And so we re-engaged a little sheepishly, a little hesitantly. And in another group that we were in, in a different church, there was healing. My wife and I went through what I would call a spiritual abuse situation as part of my internship for seminary. And we became a part of a small group at the next church we attended after graduating from seminary and moving to Grand Rapids. And that small group helped us heal. Because when we left, the only reason we were going to church is we knew it was the right thing to do. And God used that group to heal us and get us active in church again. So God has called us to be a part of this community called the church. And our desire for you is to be able to experience the joy of living in a Christian community. We want you to be able to experience the joy of living in a Christian community. Now, as most of you know, we've been in the book of Ephesians from chunks of time here and there. And so go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians to chapter 4, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to talk about how God has prepared the church and gifted the church so that we can engage in joyful Christian community. In a moment, I will read through chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. For those of you who have a blue Bible, if you don't have a Bible, feel free. We have blue Bibles in the back. It's page 1243 is Ephesians chapter 4. But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this. 
Well, I keep finding the wrong chapter. Sorry. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse, verse 7, excuse me. But grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who has descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. So our desire for each one of you here is to experience the full joy of living in Christian community. And what we're going to find in this text is that God has gifted the church with gifted men so that we can be equipped to do that. Before we jump into the actual text, though, let's catch up because it's been a while since we've been in Ephesians. So remember, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 is a transition. The first part of Ephesians was this description, this deep dive into this church, the body of Christ. The church is this bringing together of very disparate people, Jew and Gentile, into this one new body. And this one new body becomes unified. No Jew, no Gentile, all coming in as fellow heirs and co-equals. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Because of this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So in our lingo, we don't talk about walking worthy. We talk about living up to. Did you ever hear that? Your dad was a good person. You need to live up to what your dad was. Right? You have... That's kind of what this means here. In other words, God has given us this great salvation by grace. Nothing we could do, a complete gift. Because of that, because of how privileged we are to have that, we need to live up to that calling when God called us into his family. So we live up to that salvation that we've been given. And the first way he told us to do that was to be unified. Kind of makes sense. The book is about Jew and Gentile coming together into one new body. And he says, I want you to experience oneness. Oneness. Unity. Unity just means una, one. 
Unity's oneness. And I, I, I'm going to continue to emphasize this because the passage that we're in, even though it's going to talk about different people in the body, it's going to talk about different people in order so we can experience this oneness that he's talking about in the first seven verses. In the first seven verses of the chapter, he says this, we have a lot of ones that we can unite under. We're different people. We come from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different historical backgrounds, maybe different national backgrounds. We can be unified because there are a lot of ones that we can unify under. In verses five, look what he says, chapter four, verse five. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's a lot of ones that we can unite under. And so we can set aside these petty differences because the important things are one. One body, one faith, one confession, one triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So we can unify under that banner and we can set aside petty differences. And then he takes this weird turn in the beginning of our text. And I would guess to say that probably if you've been reading through the book, probably the most confusing passage in the book is probably this one, because it just seems to come out of the blue with it. He's got done talking about how each person in the body, by being unified, is going to receive this benefits of this gift, but he doesn't go about it by starting off by saying that. He starts by saying this, grace was given to each one of us, okay, According to the measure of Christ's gift. Then he quotes this strange quotation from the Old Testament. When he ascended on high, he led host, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then he goes under this even stranger statement. And if it says he ascended, what it means is he also descended. Right? And you're like, how do I get my feet solid? It just feels really like a complete change in topic. So let me see if I can kind of summarize it for you. What he's going to say is this, that God, our God, is a king who gives gifts. Our God is a king who gives gifts. And he's going to talk about that in verses 7, basically through 11. Okay, so what does he mean? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So he says, look, each one of us has received some sort of set of gifts. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, oh, he's probably going to talk about spiritual gifts and some of us are teachers and some. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about, generally speaking, that God has given the church gifted men, but he's not there yet. He wants to demonstrate the fact that God is a God who gives gifts. So he goes to the Old Testament and he goes to Psalm 68. Now, again, Psalm 68, what we're going to find is that there's a difference in how the two texts read, right? The quotation is not really a quotation. That's what we would call a paraphrase. Remember when, and so do me a favor, pull up the, pull up the comparison. So if you go to Psalm 68, which is written in what language? Hebrew. And Greek, which is written in, the New Testament is written in Greek, right? So when, he is, when you ascended on high, it says in Psalm 68, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. 
So there, it's talking about when the king would go out and he would rampage through a countryside and they would take captives and they would take those captives, including the booty and the spoils and the slaves and whatever, and they would take them back to town in a train. Now, Psalm 68 emphasized the fact that the king, whoever the king was, would receive those gifts. Okay? Now, Psalm 68 says that one thing. Ephesians 4, 8 says this. When he ascended on high, he led host, a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So if you're here and you have a desire to doubt the scriptures, this is a place to go. Right? Maybe someone try to use it against you. Well, first of all, Ephesians 4 is a paraphrase. It's not a direct quotation. Okay? But I want to solve this problem for you. So let's go back to the historical situation. If you were a king in the spring, you would go out to war, right? Remember David got in trouble with Bathsheba when he should have been out to war? He was up on his, what his deck, if you want to call it that. He sees Bathsheba. Well, when they would go out to war, they would take captives. When they would take captives, they would receive those captives as the king, and then they would take them back. But guess what they would do when they got back to their own country? They would distribute them. You think the king gets to take all the spoils of a war? You see what I'm getting at? So, in Psalm 68, it's emphasizing the fact that God... And that's talking about God, receives captives and gets gifts. Takes captives and gets those gifts. In Psalm, in the quotation or the paraphrase of Psalm 68 in Ephesians is emphasizing what would happen after that. He would take it back to his own country and then he would distribute those gifts to those people who helped him win that war. Very common practice. Doesn't happen in our country, thankfully. And so we don't necessarily understand that the way they would have understood it would truly wouldn't be a problem for them in the original readers so why the paraphrase he give gifts to men because paul is emphasizing the fact that jesus as king god gives gifts and he fulfills the typology or the picture of the old testament as the king who is a conqueror so our conquering king is the one who gives gifts. Now, I don't know why Paul emphasizes this, but I'm going to emphasize it because Paul emphasizes this. Let's continue. Look what he says in verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it imply? What does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also, who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What Paul is talking about here is the spiritual warfare attached to his ministry, his perfect life, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension to the Father. Now, we tend to think of salvation in purely our own terms. Right? Why did Jesus die? Save us. There's stuff happening in salvation that is way beyond the scope of just us. It's cosmic in scope. So... If you've read either Jude or Second Peter, you've read some of this. Or some of you may have read, for example, the, the, the Old Testament or the New Testament story when Jesus cast the legion of demons out and they go into the swine. 
in one of those accounts, they asked Jesus not to send them. They asked, he, they asked him to send him into a body and not to send him into prison. Prison? What prison? There is a prison now in the spiritual realms where there are fallen angels in captivity and in prison. If you want to read about that, read about that in Jude and in Second Peter. And when Jesus died, it wasn't just that he won victory for the earth. He actually descends to that prison and declares his victory. So Jesus is our conquering king. Jesus is our conquering king. And in so doing, he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he reigns over the universe and particularly the church. And so we don't fear the spiritual realms anymore. There was a day when you should have been afraid of the demonic realm. But if you are a child of God, you don't have to fear them. Because God has declared victory over that realm. Are they active? Well, in the Western world, I think they're smart not to be so active. Right? If, if the whole Western world is convinced that there is no God, why would demons be super active? They got a good thing going. Right? But if you go to the third world, where most people are superstitious and believe in God, the spirit world is particularly active. I have some missionary kids' friends who could tell some stories that will chill your, but like the hair on the back of your neck will go up. And it does happen from time to time in the Western world. But we don't have to fear that. Why? Because we have a conquering king who is at the right hand of the Father, reigning over the universe. Isn't that good news? It's great news. So he says, look, Jesus descended, made a declaration of victory, ascended to the Father, sat at the right hand, and then distributed gifts to the church. And again, at this point, probably some of you are going, oh, good, I get to hear about spiritual gifts. This, isn't, this text isn't actually about spiritual gifts the way we tend to think about spiritual gifts. This is about God giving the church gifted men. So yes, 1 Corinthians, Romans, talks about the fact that each one of us who has the spirit, i.e. we're children of God, God has distributed gifts to you through the Holy Spirit. That's not what this text is talking about though. This text is talking about the fact that our conquering king gave us gifted men. What do I mean by that? Well, looks what he says in verse 11. Right after saying that Jesus, the conquering king, gives gifts, he says this, and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details, but most of us have heard this numerous times in our life. That phrase, shepherds and teachers, that's talking about the same group of people. The pastor teacher, right? The pastor teacher. But what was the purpose of him giving the pastor teachers? And the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists. What does he say? Is it so they can do the ministry? 
right? We hire a pastor and a whole staff so that they can do ministry for us and we can just sit back, enjoy a Sunday message, and then we just pay our money on Sundays. Is that what it is? Some of us probably grew up thinking that. Some of us may still think that. But what does this text say? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the ministers? We are. You are. I am. We don't hire staff and pastors to do the work of the ministry. That's our job. So what's their function? To equip us. Right? To equip us. How many of you have gone through Stephen's ministry training? So look around. Mostly on the south side. South side must be better because you guys are more. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm a south sider, you can tell. All right, how many of you have been through any kind of ushering training or ER team training? Anybody been through any kind of training for children's ministry? For youth? Adult ministry? You get it? You get it? How many of you have been trained in some way by Pastor Chuck? How many have been trained in some way with, by Pastor Gibb? Or been trained by someone who Pastor Gibb or Pastor Chuck trained? You, you get what I'm saying? That's the point. Can, can I, have I built up enough credibility that I can be fairly blunt with you folks? May I? I'm, I'm being serious here and I'm not trying to offend and I'm not saying it from a haughty perspective. But this church has gone through a time in the past when we didn't understand this passage properly. We probably knew it. And I'm not saying it was malintent. But there was a time when people in this church were told not to do ministry because full-time paid people were going to do it. And some of you felt the pain of that because you had ministries that were taken away from you. It's not biblical, folks. Right? We're the ones to do the work of ministry. As our church moves forward, we're going to continue to have to move back to that model where the pastors equip us to do the work of ministry. Does that make sense? That's really, really important. I consider this to be one of the most significant principles for any church. If you want to find a church that's healthy and growing and growing in the good sense, not necessarily numerically, but health, growing in health, it's going to be a church that does this. It's going to be a church that has pastors and staff who equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And that puts burden on who, guys? On us, you and me. I, every once in a while, people ask me if I plan on going into full-time ministry. You know what I say when I'm really snarky? I am in full-time ministry. I'm just not paid for it. And that's okay. Right? That's okay. If you're a believer, you're in full-time ministry. Are you? You have to have a job? Yes, you have to have a job. You have to be faithful at that job? Absolutely. You have to raise your family? Yes, but that's also ministry too, right? Raising your family. 
Everyone here, when you see yourself in the mirror, I want you to think you're in full-time ministry. I'm in full-time ministry. God calls us to be in ministry. One of my favorite church signs I've ever seen was, I don't even know if the church is still preaching the gospel, but it's a church in Scranton, Pennsylvania, downtown. It's a beautiful old building. And the sign said, pastors, such and such, such and such, ministers, all the people. Isn't that a great sign? I'll take that clap. So our conquering king gives us gifted men, apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers. So it's different, right? It's not talking about you having a spiritual gift, which is true from another passage. But it kind of gets there too, because look what he says. He continues on with this whole purpose of the particularly for us pastor teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the oneness, unity, right? Do you see the oneness again? So there's this, diver- I, I hate to use this term because it's so misused today. There's this diversity, that means we're different, right? That very fact that God calls us to be a unity, but makes us diverse and different people, is to what? Is to bring us back to a unity. How cool is that? But that's not going to happen without Christian community. Until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it's like this. Christ is our head. And as the body of Christ, that's the metaphor, right? We have this perfect head, Jesus Christ. And we have this imperfect body that's growing into the stature of the measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you see what's happening? As a body of believers, we have this perfect head. And as we continue to grow as a church and mature as a church and reach out and reach more people for Christ, we literally are becoming like this mature body. It's kind of like watching a child grow. Look at verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. See maturity there? Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, like every once in a while you'd hear some false teaching because some guy would knock on your door and they'd be like, hi, we're from this, right, this cult. They wouldn't say it that way. But, right? Everybody have phone? Everybody have YouTube? Everybody, right? How much deceitfulness and false doctrine is available at our fingertips today? Parents, if you don't think your children have access to heresy... You're naive. If just and that's that's even churchy stuff. If you think your child doesn't have access to really really evil stuff, you're fooling yourself. 
the sign of a mature church, a sign of a group of people who have come together and engage with the scriptures and grow is that they won't be fooled by the latest thing that comes along the internet. And there's a lot of it out there. There's a lot of it out there. We need to be like the Berean believers. Right? Paul went to Thessalonica, led some people to Christ, did some teaching, went to Berea. And you know what he says about the Bereans? Some of you know this. This is why a lot of ch- small churches are called Bereans, right? He says they're more noble than the ones from Thessalonica. Why? Because they didn't just believe it because Paul said it. Well, he's an apostle. Yeah, but you know what they did? They looked in the scriptures. They said, I'm, I don't care if some human said it. I want to know what God said. So when we hear something on the interwebs, we watch something on YouTube, and it's from some doctrinal physician, I'm secure as long as I know that you're coming back to the scriptures to evaluate that. You see? And sometimes in a small group, you're going to have to help somebody a little bit deal with some teaching that's out there. So I've been through a lot of different phases of Christian churchianity in America. And about 15 years ago, everybody with this, you know, the rise of postmodernity, and everybody's like, oh, we need to do church postmodernly. Okay. So I was in a small group with a guy, I was assistant leader, and he brought in a curriculum. And this curriculum didn't open the Bible till week six. And I had stories of like cats following people, and the person seeing the cat thinking that was Jesus telling him to do this. And this guy thought this was the coolest curriculum because eventually to get to the Bible. And I, so I'm literally sitting there in the life group, everybody but the guy teaching it, because we were mentoring this guy into teaching, thought, this is crazy. But he thought, wow, this is awesome. Guess what I got to do? I got to lovingly and prayerfully encourage this individual to think about, okay, what is this? What do the scriptures say about the role of scriptures in sanctification? How do we grow spiritually? Do we do it by reading stories? Are Aesop's fables enough for us to grow spiritually? Or does God use, does the spirit of God use the word of God to grow us? Amen? So I got to encourage this person to grow in their maturity. But that happened how? In community. Community, But one of the results of that then is that we're not supposed to be blown about by every wind of doctrine. So it's not just how to live, it's how to read the scriptures, how to interpret the scriptures, how to imply the scriptures. Those things can be learned in Christian community. So verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. Boy, do I love that one. Boy, do I struggle with that one. But right, rather than being fooled by everything that comes along, we learn to live out and speak the truth in love. That verb actually, there's no word for speak there. That actually says truthing in love. How cool is that? Truthing in love. So that includes teaching, of course, but also means just living out love. Living out the truth in a loving way. That's what living in Christian community can do for you. But in so doing, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That is to say, into Christ. 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when we each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. One of the greatest things that we can say about our pastoral staff is that they've equipped us so that we can help each other grow in love. Amen? That's, that's gospel ministry. That's biblical ministry. So we're not asking for someone to come in and be the savior. Jesus already did that for us. What we're asking is somebody to come in and help equip us and lead us in equipping more people so that we can reach more people for Christ. And so we as a church can be built up as the body that fits the head. And that leads to this building up of itself in love. It's another way of saying love. People who love each other are unified. Amen? So let's, let's, let's talk about bringing this home here. We need to live up to the gospel by engaging in church. We need to engage in church. Right? So if, if you're just coming here or just, just watching online and not engaging with the body, you're missing out. And shame on you. But you're missing out. You're not giving your fellow church members the opportunity to help you grow. And you're robbing them of the opportunity of having you help them grow. Because it's a body. I hadn't been planning on doing this, Joe, but I'm going to talk about your knee. My wife has a knee replacement at age it's for. Normally they don't do it until you're about 70, right? You know why? He said her knee was like the knee of a 70-year-old. Right? The knee is amazing. It has all these ligaments, right? It's got these bones that come together. It's got cartilage. It's got meniscus. And it's got these joints, right? Anybody hear of an ACL tear? What's that do for your athletic career? a bit of a bummer yeah and if you don't get it repaired you don't have an athletic career anymore right so if you're tempted to disengage from this church or not be engaged from this church you just tore our ACL now I'm not trying to I'm not trying to beat you into obeying what I'm trying to do is encourage you with the fact that we need you and you need us did you catch that you need us and we need you. God calls us to live in community. So find a way to engage. Find a way to engage. Look, there are lots of different ways. There are some ministries in the church that you do a lot, but behind the scenes, there's a real biblical community happening. And we've heard some testimonies about that in the past. But if there's not a group of people that you are rubbing shoulders with and rubbing elbows with on a regular basis where you're doing Christian community then you're missing out and you need to jump in somewhere. We have life groups. We have small churches. This group isn't big enough or small enough for you to do that. This group has a purpose. This meeting has a purpose. The proclamation, the worship, and then the proclamation of the word. But you need, we need you to be engaged in some sort of small group, smaller group where you can be engaged with your community. And 
I'm assuming that there are, like I've been involved in some really cool groups. Um, I, sorry, well, I'm bringing it on you. But are you perfect? Probably not, but I haven't seen you much. But I got to go to you guys this summer and I saw Christian community happening. People praying for each other. People getting together and encouraging each other. The word being shared, right? We have those. Let me make a suggestion. If you feel like you need to get better at doing the community, just study the one another's of scripture. One another, right? There's a phrase in the Bible, one another. And that's, that's an interesting pronoun because it's called a reciprocal pronoun, right? One another means back and forth. Kind of like a saw, right? right? Back and forth and back and forth. So the, there are, depending how you count them, there's at least about 30 to 40 one another's of scripture where the New Testament church is told to do this to one another or with one another. What a great way to learn how to do community. Take a concordance, just go to Bible Gateway, go to Blue Letter Bible, whatever you use, and go one another. And just find them, collate them all, and study through them three or four a week. What a great way to or, or just do it for yourself for Bible study. Learn how to do and be Christians engaged in community. And yes, find out how God's gifted you, your spiritual gifts, and use them. Right? Find out what that is. And look, there, there's stuff out there. You can take a test and it'll tell you what your spiritual gift is. Okay, maybe, maybe not. You know the best way to figure out what your spiritual gift is? Do something. Just go do something. If you don't want to teach, don't teach. Go serve. Go do something. Find out how you can serve. Try something. That didn't work so well. Let me, and let me say one more thing about this. Getting really, really into the weeds here. But the test of whether something is a spiritual gift or not is not do you enjoy doing it. It's whether people grow from it. Whether it's effective. You may be a great, you may enjoy singing. But you may not be the best to do music ministry. You get what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? But what's the test? Go, so go find your gift. Yes, do those tests, take a test help? Sure. I mean, those are functionally personality tests, right? Spiritual gifts, though, sometimes, I, I've had some people who are great teachers, but are bad orators. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, they, I don't like listening to them to speak, but it feels like they rip my chest open, pull my heart out, massage it with oil, put it back in, and boom, I've grown. And I don't know how it works because I'm the most boring person to listen to. I don't, I really, I've had a, a, one of the best pastors I ever had. That's what it felt like every week. And you, you know how he started every message? Turn into your Bibles. Like, wow, that's attention grabbing. And yet, if you're a believer, that ought to be, Right? Anyway, use your gifts, find them. So when I was a kid, I was pretty fearful. I know I don't seem like that now. But, so my mom was allergic to cats and dogs very badly. I mean, really allergic to them. So anytime we got near a dog, my mom was like, no, stay away. And I didn't realize it wasn't because they were dangerous. Right? So I grew up very fearful. And, and I... I, I refused to ride a roller coaster for the longest time. And you know what happened? I finally rode it the first time. And guess what? I rode it five more times the same day. 
And I was like, what have I been missing out on? Right? So some of you might be afraid. I'm being very serious here. Some of you might be afraid to step out and step into Christian community because it's scary. Okay. Don't let fear stop you. You might find it's like that roller coaster ride. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so grateful that your son, our King Jesus, ascended to you and gave gifts. You call us to use those gifts, to take advantage of those gifts, and to serve and engage with one another. I pray that you will help us to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.